This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Raj Agarwal, CFO and Executive Vice President of Western Union, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 488. strong are we, how are we doing in terms of building our strength financially, Um, we we also look at taking that strength financially and sort of reinvesting it in the form of what we we would call dividends back to our shareholders, um, that is the kids that we feed. And and that dividend really manifests itself in in our number one mission, which is to lower the overall cost of uh, providing the treatment for severe acute malnutrition. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Chris Whitfield, CFO of Mana Nutrition. In many ways, Mana Nutrition, a not-for-profit that fights malnutrition around the world, was a perfect match for finance executive Chris Whitfield, who having already served multiple CFO tours of duty, was looking for something a little different, something maybe with bigger ideas or loftier goals. MANA offered just such an opportunity. Still, there would be some heavy lifting up front. MANA's board wanted greater visibility. More reports. Chris takes us on his journey inside a not-for-profit that opted to adopt the processes of a for-profit organization. We begin after these words from our sponsor. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful.com at planful.com. Hello, we're speaking to CFO Chris Whitfield. CFO of Mama Nutrition, a not-for-profit fighting malnutrition around the world. Chris, welcome. Thank you, Jack. Chris, what do you think of when I ask you for those experiences that prepared you to become a finance leader? What comes to mind? Well, Jack, let me start by describing an early event in my life that, um, while it's not directly related to being a financial leader, certainly has stayed with me and, and affected how I, 
my junior year in high school, actually. Um, and going to classes at the start of the new year, practically every teacher, as I went from class to class, challenged us to think about it as we make our way in our life. Um, if there's only one thing to take from what we learn in school, that would be to keep an open mind. Um, I think, you know, it's interesting. I think there obviously was some collusion going on in the teacher's lounge. But, you know, having that said and reinforced by so many teachers that I knew and respected, it really had an impact on me. Uh, well, second, there were really um, two events in my early career that, that continue to affect me this today in a, in a very positive way. Um, first was the, um, my first job out of college with PricewaterhouseCoopers as an auditor. Early in my career as a partner in charge of the office, challenged us senior auditors to assume responsibility for tax compliance for our client engagement. So in the process, I learned not just how to be a good auditor, but also how to, to um, handle tax compliance um, and also tax planning for that matter. And, and while this um, was significant, not just in, in broadening my skills, and these are skills I certainly call on today, it really set me on the path of learning new skills after college. The second of those two events that were, were pretty important early in my career was um, in my first position outside of public accounting in the role of corporate controller for Sundust Coca-Cola Bottling. Um, there, I, I quickly took to implementing the latest and greatest technologies to increase the effectiveness and the efficiency of the operating and finance functions. Um, this really began my path towards becoming what I think of as a technology-savvy finance leader to this day. But along the way in this early role, one of my older financial analysts simply couldn't or just didn't want to keep pace with the, the speed of change that this technology brought. So he, he actually just simply resigned and, and took up early retirement. And it, you know, it's interesting, at that moment, that's when I made the commitment to never let technology make me obsolete. And, and I mention these two events not just because they built foundational skills that are still useful and important to me today, but because they did set me on a path of being a lifelong learner. And this is uh, certainly a philosophy I continue to carry with me uh, to this day. Just to uh, touch on that, that Coca-Cola position was a corporate job. Yes, it was. It was in fact, it was my, my first job outside of public accounting was with Sundust Coca-Cola. Um, and uh, it was really an interesting, um, an interesting first, first corporate job, I guess you'd say. It was a... Sunbelt was a company that was really early in the process of the consolidation of the bottling system that was happening back in the late 80s and early 90s. And um, so I got involved with them really right on the ground floor and, and, um, and participated in, in you know, some pretty significant growth. And it was a, certainly a fun and challenging job. And I really got my, my taste for mergers and acquisitions work at starting at, at, uh, at Sunbelt Coca-Cola Bottling. Yeah, it was a, a fun and interesting uh, first venture outside of public accounting. Now, along the way, you do have a, a tour of duty as a CEO, and I'm curious about your, your aspirations there, and what, what were the circumstances exactly? Sure. Well, I, I, don't, I couldn't say that I really had a mind uh, on, on leading the track to the CEO position. Um, and, and this one was certainly an unusual situation. I, I uh, joined this, this or, the organization of Cash Cycle Solutions back in um, 
I guess it was two, early 2000. And, um, and, and it, to say that it was a, um, a troubled situation would be an understatement. And so early on in that process, we, we identified some issues and, and working with the investors, um, we brought in a, a new CEO. And, and he was a, really a turnaround guy. And in that process, we really, it was just a ton of fun. We, we had such a great time. Um, attacking this problem and, and really turning it around. And, and I got to play a number of different roles in that process, not just as CFO, but I, I actually took on the role of COO for a couple of years while we were still in the sort of the turnaround phase and, and uh, got to a place where it made sense to bring a, a COO, COO full-time on. So um, so we did that and um, and just had continued to have really great success in not just turning the company around, but continuing to grow the company and build the company. And it was uh, probably, I guess, uh, probably seven or seven years or so into it, the CEO, this fellow Jan Rivenbark, um, you know, decided it was he and, and really the, the investors uh, saw an, another opportunity to come along and thought that he would be the right guy to to go lead another turnaround. So with him making that move. Um, they asked me to step into the role of CEO after him. And you would do it for, say, four years. You, you were in that uh, CEO position? I did. Yeah. I did. Yeah. I did. Um, and, and it was, uh, I, I, I'll, I'll tell you, it was a, it was a real, uh, real eye-opener for me transitioning into that role. I always thought I had a good feel for things like sales and marketing, but, but um, you know, it, it really, it, until you get yourself into the middle of that, you, you really take something like that to gain an appreciation for for how complex this, those kinds of strategies and those kinds of, of um, issues around running a company are. So, you know, it's something I really enjoyed um, and I found quite challenging. But as I, as we finished, sort of finished up the, the um, work with Cash Cycle Solutions, which was a, it was a, um, by way of private equity-backed um, investment by, um, a group of, of um, investors here out of Charlotte, North Carolina, Frontier Capital. So really, we were on a path of, you know, positioning the company for an equity for a, a, a sale, um, whether it be financial or strategic, and, and we're able to get that done ultimately. Um, so, um, but anyway, having getting, gotten through that, as I moved on to the next role, you know, I really, I was really. I decided I really, well, I really liked the idea of being in a CEO role. I wasn't going to try to limit myself to, to just a CEO role, and I, and I, and I haven't. So um, just, as, um, just as much as I enjoy the CEO role, I, um, I equally enjoy working in the role I'm in now as a CFO with, with uh, Mark and, and as the CEO of Jana and David Todd as the COO. Now, you've, again, you've had a number of C-suite roles over the years for joining MANA. Uh, you had multiple CFO uh, tours of duty, let's say. Uh, you have stayed uh, largely in the Charlotte area. Is that right? And, and hasn't there been a recruiter at one time or another that uh, began talking to you about uh, another part of the uh, North America? Or what would you – maybe you're going to tell me, yes, we did that. I, but uh, from what I see, it, it – it's interesting when we find finance leaders who are able to build their career in a geography and not have to leave. Well, yeah, I, um, I've certainly been approached to, you know, um, 
with opportunities in other areas of the country. Um, but I've, I guess I've really been fortunate to, to be able to, to keep my roots here in, in Charlotte and in the Carolinas. We, I, you know, over the time after after graduation from college, I've, I've uh, actually stayed not just in Charlotte but in other other cities in the Carolinas. But it's all been you know really within this this area. So. You know, actually, I, I feel lucky to have been able to to keep my roots here in Charlotte. You know, I have, uh, of course, my my wife's from from the area, and I have my kids all grew up here, and I have um, a lot of family now, and and so, um, you know, if I, if the right opportunity had presented itself, certainly I would have. You know, it's it's, it's not something that I would not have looked at, but. But yeah, I, I think Charlotte's just such a, a, a great area, a growing area. Um, and it's much more diverse than, than you would think. You know, I think it has a reputation of being just a, a large banking community, but there's a there's actually a, a lot more to it than that. And, and I've certainly enjoyed being here today. Um, well, let's find out about uh, Mana Nutrition. Uh, and uh, let's start with how did it – the opportunity to get on your radar. When did you first, uh, perhaps, cross paths with uh, with Mana? How did it happen? Well, uh, I'm glad you asked. It's a, it's, I love this story. Um, but Mana Nutrition itself, it, it is the brainchild of Mark Moore, who's our CEO, and David Todd Harmon, our CEO. I, I think I mentioned this before. Um, you know, Mark, uh, before Mana, Mark had spent uh, 12 years of his early post-graduation life in Uganda where he raised a, uh, his young family and, and worked as a community development um, leader. Um, certainly that it was a, a, a journey or a mission for him, to, to say the least. Um, and I'm certain while he was there, he, he was exposed to a lot of the strife he was, he was finding in some of the areas of Africa. Um, so it's not, it's not surprising after he returned to the U.S. and, and after attending Georgetown University to get his master's, um, Mark was working on the Hill in, in Washington, and he came across this fairly new idea that was was really radically simple, but extremely effective in the in the treatment of severe acute malnutrition. And it's that the product you described, RUTF, it actually was originally came out with a, this sort of brand name called Plumpy Nuts. Um, you know, and then along the way, he, he uh, Anderson Cooper actually did a segment on 60 Minutes that that certainly influenced Mark's thinking about this. And, I certainly encourage listeners if they if they have some interest in learning more about um, RUTF to, to uh, search for Anderson Cooper plumping that on on YouTube. It's a great article. Um, so but anyway, so he, needless to say, Mark was was you know certainly came across this was, was very influenced by the things he he learned and saw. So um, you know after he learned about this, he he uh, set on this mission to. Uh, to uh, see if, if there was opportunities with RUTF. And what he found is that it was, it was a product that was almost exclusively delivered by a French food producer. Um, and so Mark took this crazy idea of becoming a, a therapeutic food producer and bringing competition to the marketplace to, to David Todd, his, his good friend who was lived in Washington with him at the time. And, and I'd say DT was, uh, or David Todd was, was certainly on board really from the beginning. Um, so from that seed of the idea that Mark and David Todd uh, came up with, they now today built an organization and a factory that we have located in the middle of peanut country, uh, south central Georgia, that produces enough therapeutic food um, to treat and save more than 600,000 kids a year suffering from severe acute malnutrition. 
Um, so, so certainly a, uh, an, ex, um, an amazing company to work for, one with a mission that is that um, that I find you know just extremely compelling, and um, and so it's been a, a great a great time to be involved. Have they had a finance leader before you, or was it just a sort of an accountant, or what? What level of maturity was this organization? Well, I got involved with them in when I got involved in late 2012. The organization was about three years old, uh, maybe maybe three and a half years old in terms of the beginning uh, concepts and the business plan that David, Todd, and Mark put together. It was about a year or two years old in terms of the actual operations. So it's a, a, a very young company. Um, and and certainly they had their, their their issues they were dealing with as far as far as trying to handle some pretty rapid growth. So they, they had a, um, a finance director on board, but um, but but really they were having a lot of difficulties. And she had decided to um, that she she needed to to um, you know find herself in a different you know go find a different situation to put herself in because it was just a, a little bit difficult for her with her. I guess with a lack of, of financial leadership to, to really carry carry the burden on her own. So, so she, uh, their finance director left, and um, I had become involved with them through um, work I'd done at, at a CPA firm here in Charlotte, Greer Walker. And um, and while I'm, I really wasn't in building a practice, this practice area with with Greer Walker, I, I hadn't intended to become a part-time CFO for organizations, but. Um, I got involved with them, and they needed the help, and so I, I kind of stepped into that role as part-time CFO in late 2012 to, to fill a, a, a void that had really always been there, um, and that needed filling as they continued to grow. Um, I did that as a, on a part-time basis um, from 2012, really until I stepped into a full-time role in, in early 2017, um, and that was, you know, I think that was adequate for them, but but they they were probably one of my really fastest-growing, most successful clients that I had um, during the time I, I worked with them part-time, and, and it just grew into a place that they needed a full-time CFO. Did you uh, throw your hat in the ring, or did they did they tap you on the shoulder, or how did that uh, connection finally get welded? Well, you know, it's kind of like uh, when I got married. I don't, I don't remember whether I asked my wife or my wife asked <laughs> me. <laughs> we just sort of knew each other, and around and you know I ruffled my feathers and they ruffled theirs and we just decided it, it was time to for them to, to make a, a bigger commitment to the finance function and, and um, it was a good time for me to, to help them out in that regard so in terms of so, various things in my life. so from the outside to the inside things look different what what uh, in terms of the team or how you wanted to uh, Sort of architect the finance function from the inside. What? How did your? What were your priorities as you arrived? Well, you know, I, I would really say that that I, I began a process even as a as a part time CFO to um, you know to really try to guide the finance function in a in a way I thought would be meaningful to the organization. Um, so so uh, I you know as I took on the full time role that was almost just a continuation and expansion of some of the things that I, that I was already doing. Um, one of the things um, that I, I will say as I stepped into that role, which was um, really um, interesting, is that, that 
um, as I stepped into it, they had done some things early on, like implementing um, an ERP, NetSuite with an ERP system. And so, and, and had really done a really good job of, of that. They had a, a fellow come in and help them get that, get that done, and, and he just did a fantastic role. So there were a lot of foundational things that were already in place when I came on board in 2012 that, uh, um, you know, that really helped me uh, kept me from having to worry about sort of putting out uh, those kinds of fires. Um, you know, instead, I really spent my time on really, you know, growing our, and, and enhancing our use of, of those kinds of technologies and those kinds of processes. Um, so that was a, a, actually for me in my career, that was a, a kind of a nice change of pace, to tell you the truth. So, um, so uh, that was a, that was certainly a big plus coming in. Do you, but, do, you, but that, do you hire a controller, though? Do you hire a, an accounting officer? Or what, what, uh, what are your priorities in terms of talent? Well, what, what's happened um, as I've been involved is, is that I also had the, the um, great um, benefit of, of inheriting a team of folks on the, on the accounting and finance side who were, were really young, smart folks that, um, that um, you know, really stepped in and, and evolved and, and have grown over the years. And, and so I now have an accounting manager who serves very much in a, in a controllership type role and has grown into that from a, you know, really from a, a, a fairly new accountant coming out of college back in 2012. Um, he's really grown and, and developed into a, 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 great, um, a great accounting manager. And, and I, I would even say, you know, with the ability to, to function as a controller I mentioned this is a, a, a not-for-profit, uh, mission-driven uh, organization, uh, but is that the mindset? What would you What would you tell us? What's the mindset inside? We, while we are a not-for-profit and we are very much a mission-based company, we really try to behave more like a for-profit company. Um, in fact, it's interesting. I'm, I'm attending. Um, I, I mentioned earlier that we're a, we're a we use this probably the NetSuite ERP system. And I'm, I'm actually doing a presentation at an upcoming user conference on uh, the app, the app applying the best principles of for-profit organizations to not-for-profit uh, companies. Um, so, you know, I think that's been an important thing I, I did early on was make the decision not to behave like a not-for-profit company that, that relied on giving and charity but really relied on its own gifts and ability to, to uh, raise capital, either you know, through beneficial investments or through, through normal credit channels, um, but also measured performance and reported performance back to a, a pretty savvy board of directors, just like we were a, a for-profit company. So, so yes, we are a not-for-profit company, and we're very mission-focused, um, to be sure, but, but we do... Um, try to manage the company fiscally like we're a, a not-for-profit or like we're a for-profit company. Can, can you give me an example when you say that? You manage the company fiscally like a, like a for-profit. What, what – uh, give me an example. <laughs> well, um, an easy example is just how we, how we do financial reporting back to our board of directors. Um, we we – we, um, when we first started, one of the things that I – I stepped into was a, a situation where there was a, a, a little bit of a crisis of confidence between executives and the, and the board of directors that really
around the, the lack of reporting and information back to the board. So, so really, you know, one of my number one priorities coming in um, back then was to really take a, a financial reporting function that was um, inaccurate, um, you know, incomplete, and, and really not very timely, and, and really turning that around and making it one that that really gave the board of directors the information they wanted to effectively govern and, and, and provide oversight to the organization. And, um, and I'd say we, we really pulled that off very, I think, very well. Um, and we did that by you know, doing things like reporting on a balance sheet, not a, not a statement of financial position, and reporting on an income statement, not a, not a change in net asset. Um, and so we, we would do things like measure measure performance in terms of sales, less, less variable cost to get to a gross margin, um, and, then, um, and then look at the ability of that gross margin to cover things like overhead and administrative costs. Um, that's a, a fairly simple example of, of how we do that. Um, but we, we also um, measure certain things. We, we've got one uh, benefactor with the company who, who made a significant investment early on with, that was you know, incremental in us being able to build out our factory. And that, that investment is legally in the form of a, of a loan, but the loan has a, a um, I guess what you call a revolving maturity that continues to push out and every year um, with, a, with a three-year notice. So it's effectively, it's, it's almost effectively like equity, and we, in fact, treat it like equity as a, as a kind of a preferred stock. And, uh, and it's been interesting that we did that because we, we actually even convinced our bankers that that's what it was, that it wasn't debt, and that it, it really added to our, you know, to, to the strength of our capital structure. So, um, and I guess I'd say there's one last thing that, um, that's actually kind of unique to us in terms of how we view ourselves. You know, I mentioned that we are a mission-based company, and, and we are a not-for-profit, but we certainly, we monitor our overall financial strength in terms of, of how much equity do we have, because um, even though we're not-for-profit, you've got to have, we're in not-for-profit circles, people would call net assets that give you the equity to, to provide working capital for inventory and accounts receivable and things like that that normal companies have, um, as well as capital expenditures. But, but we don't have shareholders in the typical sense. Um, but we like, to, we like to kind of turn that around and say, well, we do have shareholders, and we, we really view our shareholders as the, the, the kids that we, that we serve, the, the, you know, the kids suffering from severe acute malnutrition. So as we think about things like, um, you know, how, how strong are we, how are we doing in terms of building this, our strength financially, um, we, we also look at taking that strength financially and sort of reinvesting it in the form of what we, what we would call dividends back to our shareholders, um, that is, the kids that we feed. And, and, and that dividend really manifests itself in, in our number one mission, which is to lower the overall cost of, of providing the treatment for severe acute malnutrition. So it's a, I, don't, I don't know if that makes sense to you, but that's a, you know, those, those are the things that we've done to, to really continue to, to think like a, a, a regular, you know, commercial company, but, but also stay focused on our mission. Now, I would imagine uh, 
there are a number of key metrics that are always top of mind for you. I guess I'm, I'm curious about if you're paying closer attention these days to non-financial metrics. As there's a, a measure that, uh, given the unique offerings this company have, that you uh, you also monitor as the CFO, whatever it might be. I don't know. But uh, um, anything come to mind when I ask for a non-financial metric that's top of mind these days? Well, we, we certainly – we certainly measure um, the. We, we certainly track and measure the the impact we have on the marketplace in terms of of how many children we're able to, to treat. But we also really think about the marketplace in terms of how much more product we can get out there. Um, but most recently for us, um, one of the things that, that I've gotten involved with, which is is really very interesting, and, and it's not a direct financial metric, but it's really around the fact that we're a manufacturer. Um, one of the things we, we started this year is implementing a Six Sigma type um, process within our manufacturing area. And, and in there, what we're really trying to do is create um, process control around really every aspect of our, of our production, every stage of production. And so um, I've had the, the, the great, the, really it's been a ton of fun stepping in and trying and beginning to take a, a, a bit of a leadership role in implementing some of these processes and measures around ensuring that we um, that we create a the highest quality product at the lowest possible cost. And it's a, it's been a, so far we're about six months into this, and it's been an extremely interesting journey to develop these um, these process control measures and build these data collection systems that that let us measure that. We do get involved a, a lot in those kinds of, of metrics that, that really step outside of your traditional financial function. When we come back, Chris Whitfield shares a finance strategic moment. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Well, we want to uh, ask you uh, for a finance strategic moment, and this could be any time during the course of your career when your lines of sight into the business, into the organization, allowed you to see either a risk or an opportunity and perhaps uh, redirect the company or your team or do things differently. Anything come to mind when I ask for a finance strategic moment? Um, there is. Um, it actually goes back to um, my um, work at Broadway and Seymour. Um, there was a, a point, in a period of time where um, we decided that we we were growing pretty rapidly and we needed to, to put a little focus on management development. So 
um, I got involved with a, a cross-functional team that was led by our HR department um, to develop a management training curriculum. And, and we actually developed it not just for new rising managers, but also for all of our veteran managers inside the organization. So in, in doing that, um, we, we took each part of the curriculum and built a day-long session about a particular aspect of being a successful manager in, in the organization. And that included the sessions I wrote and delivered across the company several times. It was Kyle, as you might expect, uh, financial management for non-financial managers. You know, not a new concept, but, but one that, that I think has been an important concept. Um, that, that process actually you know, resulted in two wild things for me that, that have uh, you know, really um, carried me in terms of how I think strategically to this day. One is that it, it was um, that working with a cross-functional team and that team working together, you can accomplish so much more than you can as individuals working um, independently. Uh, you know, I guess you could say sort of that old adage of the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Um, so, so that was the, the accomplishments we had in that, in that program were, were significant and, and, and extremely meaningful uh, you know, for quite a while to the organization. The second thing really was about it was how much it showed that, um, that while I, as a, as a finance guy, and a, a person who, who thinks that, that um, understanding how a business runs and how a business operates is, is important to being effective as a financial leader, um, I, I also learned that the more you can engage non-financial people in your organization with what's important in financial management, the, the more successful, the more well-rounded they're going to be. And, and we saw that really happen with this group. So, so I think it's not just me understanding how all the other uh, functions of a business work, but also helping other non-financial managers understand that aspect of their responsibility. And so that was really a, a, a kind of a, a wow moment for me in two regards, both in terms of, of how important teamwork is and also how important it is for everybody in the organization to to not stay in silos to understand how all aspects of a, of a company operate. Okay, we're going to jump to our mentoring round where I get to ask you several quick questions intended to inspire and uh, inform future finance leaders. What's one thing that's exciting you about finance and business today? Well, I, I suspect you've heard this before, but I, I think I'd have to say that continuing automation of routine processes is probably the most the most interesting thing to me, and I, I just see it continuing to um, to develop that you know year in and year out. Um, I think it's it's you know, I think it's easy to say, see how artificial intelligence is transforming a lot of areas of life, and I certainly think it's going to to, to do that in the area of finance in terms of of you know really automating many of the, the more routine tasks. Um, over time, I can see it going even beyond that. But I do think that what's exciting about that is the opportunity it presents to, to continue to grow the, the role of financing in terms of business analytics and business strategy and, um, and you know, affording it the opportunity to sort of, you know, elevate its, its perspective about what's going on in the business. What is it that you wish someone had told you at the very start 
of your CFO career, and by that I mean the first time you stepped into that office, if you could think back and tell yourself something, <laughs> that's the piece of advice we're looking for. What is it that someone you wish someone had told you at the start of your CFO career? Um, I, I think I would, I would wish that someone had told me, and I would tell this to someone today, is to, to really engage in strategy um, in, a, in a meaningful way. And, and what I mean is, um, you know, we often think of ourselves as, as facilitators of strategy in terms of things like analytics and translating strategies into business plans and budgets. But I think, you know, I would really advise you to go beyond that and do, do more than just simply be a steward of strategy, but also um, significantly engage yourself in the implementation, implementation of strategy across the organization. And, and I mean in, in regards to things like sales and, and in regards to things like manufacturing and production or, or service delivery. You know, don't just uh, sit back and measure those things and, and uh, try to um, be a steward of information to the people who are trying to create um, change through strategy. Actually, be, get in there and, and uh, you know, get your, get your uh, hands dirty doing it as well. Do you have a personal habit or routine that you believe has contributed to your professional success? Well, I, I wouldn't say it's a routine, but I do have a, um, I would call it more of a, an attribute or a habit that, you know, really uh, one of the things I try to do is, is you know, look, to, look at the folks I work with, whether it's people in, in the finance organization or people outside of the finance organization who um, have an impact on, on success of the organization and, um, and really try to reach out to them and, and help them solve problems that they're dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis. And, um, and also try to teach them a new skill. I, I actually um, try to be very intentional in, in thinking about those kinds of things as I'm interacting with folks. Um, and um, so, so I just really want to be there and, like I said, help, solve, you know, help someone solve a problem or teach them a new skill or, or simply you know, give them a boost in confidence where, where they need it along the way. Um, and and I, that's just something that it, and every day I, I really seek out and try to be intentional in those opportunities. Hey, is there a book you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders? Well, um, I, I, there are a couple I'm, I'm currently reading. I'm, I'm actually right now reading um, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, which is actually a, a reading assignment from my buddy uh, David Todd Harmon, the COO. Um, so he's going to actually um, take that book and, and use it as a sort of a, a learning lab for, for the executive team here in the next few months. So, um, so I'm, I'm enjoying getting through that and, and uh, I look forward to, to being involved with, with David Todd's initiative. Another one I'm actually reading right now is, is Culture by Design. Um, I'll, I'll describe that a little bit more. But, um, but um, one of the things I, I, I would say is I, I certainly read um, in whole or in part any number of books on strategy, execution, business operations, things like you know, the, the Good to Great, Thriving on Chaos, Lean Saving the Top, as well as you know, um, books written by you know, pretty notable leaders like Jeff Welsh. And I would tell um, listeners that um, these are all really good books, and I, I would always encourage people to to reach out and and you know read the books and, and really try to use things from those books to, to contribute to that person's knowledge base. 
say that I, I mentioned culture by design. I will say that I'm, I'm actually currently reading that, and I had the opportunity to to go attend a, a workshop by the author, um, uh, David Freeman, and, and I, I really am enjoying this book quite a bit. It's a, um, and I like it just simply because it explains the importance of culture in a way that, that certainly is meaningful to me. And, and it's also, um, I like it because it's a, just a practical guide to creating the right kind of culture in your organization. So um, if, you're, if you're in a new company and you have the opportunity to, to participate in those kinds of thoughts and, 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 uh, and, and uh, corporate-level activities, executive-level activities, this is really um, a good book to, to facilitate understanding it and execute on it. Um, but beyond that, I would, I'd also say to, to uh, your listeners out there, you know, I, I find all I find all these other books, you know, um, helpful and, and certainly you know, adding to my knowledge base in terms of trying to be a good, a good business leader, financial leader. I'd also I've I've found a, a ton of inspiration in uh, books, uh, in nonfiction books, history books about particularly about the founding of, of our country and, and, uh, and our founding fathers. If you haven't read you know, books about George Washington or, or uh, Thomas Jefferson or some of the early early founding fathers, I think um, there's a lot to be gained and a lot of inspiration to be found in, in um, writing about and by that, that, those folks. Um, and, and I will say that um, you know, reading about uh, Sam Adams is a lot more interesting than, than thriving on What are the priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months? What are your priorities? Actually, we have uh, three pretty significant priorities uh, at MANA this coming 12 months. The first is um, you know, we, uh, I'm really planning to continue to further engage our operations managers in their role and responsibility in financial management. Um, you know, a year ago, we, we began a process of engaging them through call center reporting that has really been really effective in, in pulling them into um, understanding, um, you know, the business outside of their particular silos. And this year, uh, we want to continue that and extend that to include um, their active engagement in the budgeting process. Um, and, and really, you know, part of my hope in that is I want them not just to, to uh, look at how they're how they're uh, using resources and how they're spending the money, but also um, being able to, to take a little bit more ownership in, in uh, driving the bottom line performance of the organization. The second thing that we, we're looking at are continuing to find ways to reduce the cost of our ready-to-use therapeutic foods. And, and in that regard, myself, the COO, and the CEO are continuing to develop some business plans around vertical integration opportunities. That, uh, that we think can deliver you know, an appropriate ROI to uh, our beneficial investors as well as creditors. Um, and, and the third thing we've got going on over the next 12 months is to, to really look at trying to expand product offerings to, to mitigate some customer concentration risks that we have today and to, to provide returns that can be reinvested in our effort to grow, grow the markets that, that we serve um, for our UTF and, and ultimately save more. Chris Whitfield, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. After this.
Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts, or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter, featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.